working. Let me make sure I'm on. There we go. Good morning to you again. It's great to welcome you to worship today on this Thanksgiving celebration Sunday. We have as a central symbol here an authentic Jewish hoopah, and it is symbolizing uh, a part of the story we heard read a, a moment ago, and we're going to be thinking about that as we share the message today. So as we get ready, would you join me in a word of prayer? Gracious God, wherever we are this Thanksgiving week, we pray that you would speak to us with fresh meaning from these words of old that would encourage us to know, believe, and seek that living from a place of gratitude is truly the best place to be in life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. One evening when our girls were little and we were saying prayers before bedtime, I asked them all to share something from their day that they were thankful for. I could tell that for two of the three, they had had a good day. One of them said, I'm thankful for a special lunch they had at the cafeteria at school that day. Uh, The other one was thankful that her teacher had gotten better after being sick and that she did well on a spelling contest. The third one didn't say anything. I said, don't you have something today to be thankful for? She said, I'm thankful it's over. (laughs) Ever prayed a prayer like that? Sometimes you are just thankful it's over. Sometimes we come at Thanksgiving through the back door. Our thanksgiving does not honestly come out of a place of abundance and a feeling that life is a rich blessing. Sometimes thanksgiving comes out of hardship and challenge. And if you think about the history of thanksgiving, that is the more common condition that motivates people to give thanks. Just as you heard Jeff Rogers share about the choir's anthem a moment ago, written by a pastor in Germany after conducting the funeral of his wife. Now thank we all our God. Or go back to 1863 in our country. In the middle of the Civil War, when the nation was at its lowest, President Abraham Lincoln issued this proclamation. In the midst of a civil war of unequaled magnitude and severity, I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November as a day of thanksgiving. And I recommend to them that while offering up the ascriptions justly due to God for such singular deliverances and blessings, they do also with humble penitence for our national perverseness and disobedience commend to God's tender care all those who have become widows, orphans, mourners, or sufferers in the lamentable civil strife in which we are unavoidably engaged and fervently employ the interposition of the almighty hand to heal the wounds of the nation and to restore it as soon as may be consistent with the divine purposes to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, tranquility, and union." Out of a difficult moment, the nation turned to thanksgiving. Or go back to 1620, 
when a fresh arrival of pilgrims from England landed at Jamestown right at the beginning of an extraordinarily harsh winter, combined with hunger and disease that spread through the colony. By springtime, the population had been reduced from, a, from 490 people to 60 people. But Native Americans befriended them and taught them how to plant crops and to grow them in their new environment. And that fall, after having their first successful corn harvest, Governor Bradford issued this proclamation. Inasmuch as God has spared us from pestilence and disease, I do proclaim that all ye pilgrims gather on Thursday, November 29th to listen to ye pastor and render thanksgiving to ye almighty God for all God's blessings. I think we ought to say ye again in our vocabulary today. Out of hardship, there's thanksgiving. Now, just a year before those pilgrims landed at Jamestown, you historians, what other ship in 1619 landed at the Jamestown Harbor, the first slave ship from Africa? Something for which our nation should not ever be grateful. Yet, those Africans brought with them a tradition of thanksgiving called the Homowo Festival. The Homowo Festival celebrated at the end of the drought, thanking God for the rains that are yet to come and the ability to grow produce and harvest that will allow the people to survive. The word homowo literally means to jeer at hunger. They brought with them a Thanksgiving festival celebrated in harsh conditions. And it is believed that they, they drew the roots of that festival from another pilgrim people who lived in northern Africa many, many centuries ago. A pilgrim people coming out of 400 years of bondage in Egypt, making their way to a homeland and spent an entire generation crossing the desert of the Sinai Peninsula. And when they stood on the edge of that promised land, Moses issued a proclamation to the people that from now on, every year, you are to take seven days and live in booths, just like the booths you lived in as you crossed this desert, and to be thankful. This is what is called the Sukkot Festival. Today, this festival continues to be celebrated, and it marks the end of the high holy days in Jewish tradition. And so at this part in the message, I am really excited to invite somebody to share with us the significance of the Sukkot Festival and to help us think about the hoopah that we have here, how it helps to, what it stands for, how it helps to mark that tradition, other traditions that go with it. And I have joining me today, and very grateful he agreed to do this, Rabbi Brett Kirchhofer, Senior Rabbi of Indianapolis Hebrew Congregation. Uh, as much as being, thank you.
As much as being a great colleague and a great clergy colleague, uh, I consider Brett a friend. And I'm really glad he can be with us today. But before he speaks, I want you to speak. Do you remember the Hebrew word for love? Ready? It is? Oh, we, uh, I want you to go back and let them know that we're learning Hebrew at St. Luke's United Methodist Church. Rabbi Brett. Thank you, Pastor Fuquay. It's, uh, it's a privilege to be here with you all this morning and um, to celebrate the uh, longstanding friendship between our congregations as well as the wonderful friendship that we share. Um, and to bring our uh, wedding canopy with me. Uh, it's really wonderful when you introduced it as the, you, you, you had set up today a real authentic, I thought you could say, rabbi, and then make me stand up and... <laughs> But this is, um, I have married many wedding couples under this, and there is actually a tradition to bring the chuppah up onto our bima, the raised platform at the beginning of, at the front of the sanctuary, during the holiday of Sukkot. So you're doing this in a very traditional way, designed and decorated beautifully by your congregation. Sukkot is, of course, the, the, um, the beginning of the idea of gratitude in Jewish tradition, but it also forms one leg of a cycle of holidays. There are three festival holidays, and each of them in Jewish tradition uh, have two different significances. One of them, and actually both of them, were referenced in the scripture that we shared this morning. One of them is uh, uh, the harvest has come in, and in that moment of uh, recognition of the successful harvest, there is a moment to pause and to offer a gratitude. In fact, some argue that the sukkah, the small booth represented by this canopy, the sukkah w- was uh, also symbolic of the, um, the small agricultural huts. If any of you have been in a farming environment, you know that when you're bringing in the harvest, you work from before sunup to after sundown. And so often they would live in these little temporary shelters. Of course, the additional um, meaning behind each of the harvest festivals, one in the spring, one in the summer, one in the fall, is, uh, as it mentioned in Scripture, the recognition of the journey of the Israelites through the desert. So we are commanded to take a sukkah, and actually this one is not so traditional in that uh, it would have sides on it, but it would actually have a much more porous roof. The obligation is to be able to see the stars through the top of the sukkah, and to eat under the sukkah, or to sleep under the sukkah, and especially as the weather is turning cold, it's a powerful experience to gather with the warmth of friends and family Uh, and yet to still be a bit vulnerable uh, to the elements. So more to come. I know that we've got a few lessons to share. Uh, Pastor Rob. So uh, when we thought about doing this today, and I wanted to have a traditional Jewish Sukkot up here, I said to (laughs) Rabbi Brett, "Can can we borrow the one your church puts in front of the building? He goes, Rob, do you have any idea how big that thing is? I said, I guess I haven't paid that close of attention. It's just way too big. And I said, well, what about your personal one? And he said, well, we got a problem there. I didn't get it taken down in time. And when we had that strong wind a few weeks ago, it kind of picked his sukkah up and sent it across the yard, apparently. And it's in a little rough shape right now. It is. So we're imagining 
this as a Sukkot. And so I want us to think for a few minutes about some of the lessons that this ancient Jewish tradition that really comes back to us in America through an African culture that drew its roots from this tradition and brought some of its meaning to us. Think about the lessons that it has for us today. One of them is this. This festival teaches us to remember where you come from. Remember where you come from. There's a powerful aspect of going back to where you come from that gives you a feeling of appreciation and gratitude. I read in the newspaper the other day an article about the uh, former uh, Colts running back, Edgerin James. And it talked about his remembering where he comes from and Immokalee, Florida, where a third of the population of his hometown lives below the poverty level. And he recalls in this article how he and his mother and brother lived in a, a, a very, very tiny, small home that didn't even have a bathroom. He said this, those are the things that give you a greater appreciation for where you are. Isn't that a powerful notion? You know, when you go back to times that were not as full as, as, as many of the things that surround our lives today, it, it just reminds us that Thanksgiving is not about the accumulation of blessings. It's something simpler. Curtis Rector is a member of our church who started and runs a very, very successful business, but he shares how at different points in his career in significant downturns in the economy, he nearly lost it all several times. And whenever those times would come, his wife April would say to him, you know what? If it happens, we'll just go back to that 900-square-foot house in Broad Ripple where we lived when we got married. It had one bathroom. And she said, we were happy in that house. You remember where you come from. You realize that Thanksgiving really is not about the blessings, or at least not the tangible ones. Irma Bombeck tells well, she says these words, every time I forget to feel grateful to be among breast cancer survivors, I hear the voice of an eight-year-old girl named Christina who had cancer of the nervous system. When asked what she wanted for her birthday, she thought long and hard and finally said, I don't know, I have two sticker books and a Cabbage Patch doll. I have everything. Blessings are not about having more and more and more gifts. It's about the awareness that our greatest need is the giver. The giver. So I might encourage you to try out a little tradition for Thanksgiving this week. To build your own personal sukkah. Your own little miniature shelter that could sit on your table at home where you sit to have your meals. And one exercise I invite you to try is to write down the very simple blessings that are so easy to take for granted every day. What are the things that if you suddenly, if something happened in your life, a, a drastic downturn, 
you would realize the impact of it. What are the daily ordinary blessings? And write them down on, the, on one piece of paper at a time and fold it up and put it in your, in your sukkah. Write down another, fold it up and put it in there. Thanksgiving Day, maybe take a moment to read them and go, I really am thankful and blessed. Rabbi Brett, share with us another lesson we can take away from this festival. Thank you for that. And uh, you're reminding me that um, when we were kids in religious school, we would often, you, you may remember that strawberries used to come, I don't know if you can still find them this way, in these green baskets, right? In fact, I think we may have a picture of one. Okay, so this was the raw material for building miniature Sukkot when we were in school. You just flip it over, you can put something on the top to represent the kind of porous roof, and, um, and we would decorate it. Often uh, a, a real Sukkot is decorated as this one is with the harvest symbols, the, you know, the gourds and pumpkins and things like that, or fall leaves. Um, we, can, we can hang chains, though, or lights even, and so this is a great idea. If you can still find those and they're not the little plastic ones. Uh, it's, a, it's a good idea for your table, maybe a nice centerpiece. Um, I wanted to focus on something that Pastor Rob said just a few moments ago, that, that um, the, the holidays that you may be most familiar with from the Jewish tradition are what we refer to as the high holy, our high holy days. Uh, they come back to back, the new year, and then the day of atonement. 10 days later. And Sukkot follows immediately on the heels of those holidays. And so there is a sense of flow to those holidays. And in fact, it's really uh, considered by the ancient sages to be a, 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 a journey that began with Moses taking the Israelites out of Egypt. But in our day, it's a very personal journey. If you think about this new beginning, a new year beginning, and then the 10 days leading up to the Day of Atonement being a real time of reflection and introspection, a day of, of seeking forgiveness and of offering forgiveness and making peace, then when you get to the Day of Atonement, it can be a very cathartic experience, very meaningful experience. And the tradition is to go immediately outside. After you finish that day, it's a fasting day. So you have a little bit of food, you break the fast, and then you go outside and you put the first nail in your sukkah. I like this idea of thinking about what do I do with all of this reflection that I've done and this journey that I've been on? I go out and I build something with it. Now, Jews and carpentry, that's a sermon for another time. It's often challenging for us to build one of these, but we have it in our blood, right? We do. But I do think of that journey as being significant because the sukkah then is this shelter that we build. And as I said, it's the, it's the time of year where you would least like to go and sit outside for a meal. But the sukkah is a shelter. It feels warm. We know that warmth of sitting with family and friends outside, sharing a bottle of wine, maybe singing some songs. It is comforting. It is warmth. And yet the sukkah is fragile and uh, can easily be picked up by a strong wind and taken across the yard. So that is the message of the Jewish tradition of Sukkot also. Um, every night, actually, in the, in the liturgy, we say, we ask God to spread over us a shelter of God's peace. shalom. God is the one who shelters us with peace. But the word for shelter in that prayer is a sukkah. 
because we recognize that while God's presence is eternal in our lives and strength for us, that what we can feel in this world from one another, it is true shelter, it is comfort, it is also temporary, it is also fragile. And so you're designed to be in the sukkah and to feel the elements a little bit. It's a reminder of life's journey as well. So a few of the lessons, remembering where we come from and that life is a journey. And I love that idea that you go from the experience of purging with the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, to saying, what do I do with this? I go build something. I remember that God can help us start anew. One last lesson remember who's responsible for what you have. Again, from the book of Leviticus, all native-born Israelites are to live in booths. So your descendants will know that I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. This tradition reminds us that God is the source of what we have. Let me read another portion of Abraham Lincoln's Thanksgiving proclamation in 1863. We have forgotten the gracious hand which multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in all the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. (laughs) Imagine presidents of the United States saying that today. We remember when we become vain and smug That what we have in life is from our ingenuity, cleverness, ability, and smarts. That it can really be a dangerous thought. I believe Abraham Lincoln said this to the nation in 1863 so that people would understand that significant hope comes out of desperation. And the people were desperate. But that desperation can yield its way to hope. Because when we believe that everything we have is based on our ability, then it is a crisis when those blessings go away. Because then it's up to us to somehow make the blessings reappear again. And that can be discouraging. But when you believe that God is the source of it all, when you believe that God is the one who has truly given us what we have, then when things go away, we can remain hopeful because we know that that God has not run out of the power to bless. That God is still great, and that God is still good. Let me close with a story about Robinson Crusoe. When he was shipwrecked and became aware of the desperation of his situation. He took out a piece of paper to write down. On one side, he wrote down all of his problems, all of the things that made him despair. And on the other side, he wrote down his blessings. On one side, he wrote, I have no clothes. On the other side, he wrote, but it's warm and I really don't need any. On one side, he wrote, all of the provisions were lost. On the other side, he wrote, but there's plenty of fresh fruit and water on the island. On and on the list went until he concluded, 
that for every negative aspect was an equal blessing. Maybe one other add to your sukkah, if you make one and put it on the table, is to remember a time when you truly believe God came through for you in your life. When you can say, were it not for God, I don't know where I would be today. I know God blessed me at that point in my life. I know God helped me. And maybe instead of just writing that, find something that symbolizes it. Something you can look at. It takes you back to that moment of desperation in your life where you say, yes, but God brought me through it. And see what that does for you the next time a moment of desperation arrives. Maybe, maybe this is a Thanksgiving that has desperation to it for you. But may you still find the ability to give thanks. And in the giving thanks, find hope and encouragement. So uh, Rabbi Brett is going to close us, and he's going to really show me up as a clergy member who can also play a guitar and sing. (laughs) So he's a singing rabbi. And his closing prayer is going to be a song that is part of, uh, of Sukkot traditions. And I think you're going to invite us to share in it with you. Yes, I hope we will not be too shy about singing. I don't think that you are. Also mention uh, one other tradition of a, the Jewish festival of Sukkot is uh, in, in Yiddish actually called Ushbizin, which means visitors, guests, welcoming honored guests. So we do have a very large sukkah. It's decorated, painted by a local artist. And it'll be up in the fall, once again, when we get back around to it. And I, uh, I look forward to hopefully welcoming all of you into our sukkah. We probably all can't fit at the same time, but we can fit a bunch of us. So uh, we'll be able to share in blessings then as well. This blessing is said traditionally at the beginning, at the first time you do anything, when something is new for you. And so I think it's appropriate as we're learning about this new holiday and perhaps a new ritual that we share these words together. Uh, The words mean, uh, blessed are you, uh, Adonai, our God, ruler of the universe, uh, who has given us life, who has sustained us through life's many journeys, and who has enabled us all to reach this moment of joy. So I'll teach you just the last part of the song, the melody of it. It's just the word is amen, which I think we know. And uh, maybe want to bring this forward. <clears throat> just so that those online can, can participate as well. I hope you'll join with me. Man has 
Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Shehechianu v'kimanu v'hegianu Lazman Hazeh Amen